0: A special episode of Ready Step Binge. I'm your host, Jeremy Dove, and I'm joined by once again special guest, the man, the myth, the legend, Steve Callahan. What's going on, man? Hey, how's it going? Hey, can you hear me? I hear you.
1: Okay, sorry, I was connecting my AirPods. I thought they were already connected, and then it was—I had them in, and it was playing through the phone. But hey, thanks.
0: No, no. How's it going, man?
1: <laughs> Everything's good. How are you?
0: I can't complain, can't complain, you know, getting ready for the uh probably the strangest holiday season you know of all time, but yeah, yeah, it's still the holidays. Yeah, I just
1: uh spent the last we spent the last few days getting ready for that and you know, you know, it's Sunday, love being disappointed by the NFL.
0: Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> same usual thing.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. But we I, you know, wanted, it's always a pleasure to talk to you and have you on. You know, I've always loved our conversations on air and off air. But this is an episode I can tell from, like, all the time I've known you and we've been talking about it for a while that you've wanted to do, and that's doing Quentin Tarantino's top five films, his best films. And I wanted to ask you, Steve, and give you the floor, what does Quentin Tarantino mean to you as a film lover a film critic film aficionado what does tarantino mean to you personally
1: well so like we could just start right from the beginning with like i remember the first time i ever watched pulp fiction and you know because a lot of people like you know i'm a little bit younger so like my first exposure to tarantino like knowingly knowing it is tarantino with pulp fiction Mm -hmm. um, i remember watching it and i remember like the first is like the first movie where I understood like the breaks up, the breakups of the non-linear timelines and, you know, trying to figure out like what's in the briefcase. Like, is it Marcellus Wallace's soul because of the bandaid on the back of the neck? And, you know, um, it, like Tarantino is not only like, in my opinion, one of the most influential directors of all time, but like, he's one of my favorites and, and you know this. And um, sometimes I can, you know, be a very giant fanboy for Tarantino and anything he does and which sometimes makes it very hard to remove my personal bias from from like reviewing anything that he does. But uh it's just huge like like every time I see one of his movies and a new one comes out it's like um a 12-year-old kid just starting to get into film all over again. And Like everything is, he could do this. It feels like he could do the same thing over and over and over again. And it feels brand new every time.
0: No, I, you know, I agree. Like in that you have to, and his, he's still writing his legacy. So, you know, we, we will be reviewing it movie fans for years and years, but just the impact he's had, you know, looking on from the nineties to now and on independent filmmaking and, just really thinking outside the box with his storytelling, you know, I, that can be for a different episode, but he's he's going to go down as one of the all-time great, you know, filmmakers ever in this it's industry. Undoubtable, for sure.
1: It's, you know, if you try to say that he isn't one of the greats, you're just being, like, you're being on the contrary, just for the point of arguing. Yeah, and like I'm a, I'm a guy who likes to do that. I know, but <laughs> but like with Tarantino, it's undeniable. You know, everything he does, and I don't want to say everything he does is a critical success because I don't think it is, but everything he does is just a titanic through the film industry. You know, like as soon as it gets starts getting talked about, to you know, pre-release, post-release reception, all that, like just it's always it's huge. and it transcends so far out of film that it's, it's crazy.
0: That's, and let me ask you this. I, 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 for me, and you know, check me if you think I'm wrong or if there's more people, I would say Spielberg and Scorsese are the only directors to me right now who, when they're doing a film, like get just as much or more buzz. Like, it's not about even the actors. It's about like, Oh, Scorsese's doing a film, Spielberg's doing this. And to me, Tarantino's right up there, like Tarantino's working on this. I think
1: mm, Yeah, now. Yeah, I'd say that. I would say maybe not in the most positive of lights, but like I like ten, fifteen years ago, if Polanski was doing a film just because he's so polarizing, okay, there would be a lot of hype around him. But like that's almost like it's kind of hard for me to see outside of somebody who has like deep roots in film. Like, so like if I hear that Polanski's doing a film, I'm like, wow, I'm, I'm curious to see what it is. Cause like, I mean, we could do a whole podcast on him, but like, yeah. he, uh, you know, with all his controversies in his life that like when he did um, uh, the movie with Adrian Brody, uh, why is the name the, the pianist? Uh, you know, I was like really interested to see like, how is this actually going to play out? Right, but yeah, I I do agree with you. I think he's one of the names, one of very few, that as soon as it gets announced that he's doing something, that he's done movies before, you know, that it's not a first time directorial piece, that like it, it gets the same hype every time. Same with Spielberg, same with Scorsese, and possibly, possibly James Cameron.
0: Yeah, I was thinking the only Cameron's a good one. I wasn't even. I was thinking. Could you know? Could George Lucas be up there? Maybe I don't. I don't know. But I
1: I feel like no matter how big it is, it's a cult following.
0: Yeah. So so, but I
1: mean, I guess you could kind of make the same argument for Tarantino. But I still think Tarantino, as far as being a director on on more than one subject, then that's what makes the difference there. Because you think Lucas, you think Star Wars, because that's all he's ever done. So.
0: Yeah, I I agree with you. Definitely agree. You know, so we're we're doing – and let me ask you, how hard was it for you? Because it's not – you know, we've done some big things. You know, we did on another podcast, <clears throat> Top uh, 5 Scorsese. We did – a couple weeks ago, we did our, you know, Top 10 SNL castmates. So, to me, it's almost strange like this, like because he only has 10 movies that he's – that's, that's been done at least – or nine nine, right? nine, nine, nine movies. So it was a shorter like field to pick from, but in a way, it was harder than those others for me. I don't know how you felt. Um,
1: I don't want to say that the five w- picking the five was hard. Picking the order was hard. Okay. B- b- uh, because like you know, I want to put like, especially being as big of a Tarantino fan as I am, like I. I have to remove my personal biases out and like it that's like it's extremely hard for anyone who's ever had to make like a list that's being reviewed by other people and it, it's very hard to remove your biases out of something you're passionate about
0: it is it is and that's what makes it challenging but like fun too to be like you know I think favorite is oh it's cool but that's easier like to say like my favorite you don't really have to justify yeah. it as much you just say I like it you know Uh, i i like it for me you can justify it in in detail but when you say the best that's kind of like all right prove it prove to me why you think it's the best
1: right because you have to look at so many different facets of why it's the best you know what i mean like actual um like the quality of the movie itself the impact it made the longevity of the film you know how long did it remain relevant like the generations past and generations after like how did it like how does it cement its way into the culture of the present you know like that right. was a big one for a few of them that like it's a, it was undeniable because of how relevant it still is you know 10 5 15 20 years later
0: so absolutely so as the guests do you want to kick it off you're, you're we'll do five to one we'll go back and forth uh and we have not, for the listeners, just like we've done in the past, I don't know Steve's list, he doesn't know mine, so I'm hearing it right now, just like you guys, so it's uh, I'm, I'm pumped, so do you want to drop your number five? Yeah, sure um, I'm
1: starting off big, and I, I definitely want to preface that I feel like all right, this is one time our lists are going to be
0: very different. I, okay, I agree
1: um, So, number five, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and to be honest, I almost wanted to move it higher.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, you know, as I've only seen the movie, I say three to four times. I think I think three. Uh that being said, each time I watched yeah, it, I did go over it in pretty good detail. And the performances are great. There are definitely are some things that I don't like about the movie, but there's I can find things that I don't like about every movie. Right. Uh but after, you know, like, I'll just, uh, spoiler alert, hateful Eight, not in my list. Same. Um, <laughs> didn't make it. Uh, it was actually one of the first ones that I ruled out. And, uh, you know, after that, right, he went out in a different direction, did the Western thing, which, like, we know that, like, anyone who knows anything about Tarantino knows that he's a fan of spaghetti Westerns and also a fan of Italian films and all these different things. And uh, I... I like this, right? Because it almost feels like he was revisiting the formula from Inglorious Bastards where he was taking history and he was giving it a Hollywood spin. Mhm. And and it's funny that it's a topic piece on Hollywood and that he got to use real characters and like he got, you know, the scene with uh Bruce Lee and not that Bruce Lee was actually in the movie, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And uh you know, Leonardo DiCaprio's performance is is great. It is it's it's everything you expect out of Leonardo DiCaprio. Um like at this point it's no longer I don't think when it comes to him and his acting ability, it's like a myth. Like he doesn't like like believe the hype. Right. And um now our our supporting actor Brad Pitt go, we go on ups and downs, right? Yeah. Uh, we, we spent about a decade from the late nineties, mid two thousands, where he was typecast as a romantic lead. And like, and like, if you look at before that, like he had some powerhouses films, you know, yeah. obvious, obviously flight Cl- or fight club, uh,
0: California,
1: seven, seven, seven yeah, California. Um, you know he was in movies as early as his first film, Estelle and Louise, and which was like, you know, way before anything else on the screen for him. But uh, you know his performance in that was just unmatched. Like I, I think, I think he continues to outdo himself. I don't like, especially with the Tarantino films. Like I didn't think that a performance for him could get better than the way he portrayed—not portrayed, but the way he played his character, Aldo Raine um he he was like perfect it almost he made it feel like he really was a stuntman in that time period he -hmm. didn't feel out of place which there was other people in the film that i did feel that that like it was very clear that they were acting but he you know one of my favorite scenes in the entire film is him at spawn ranch and like the way he handles the situation the 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 believability in like the vocabulary he's using towards like the people he's dealing with and uh, like the, the scene where he uh, beats up Tex. I can't remember Tex's last name, but you know, which are like real people from the Manson murders. It's just, it's awesome. I I love the spin on it. I, I love that when going in to the final scene, obviously like if you haven't seen the film, like pause the podcast, uh, because like, i'm gonna have to get into spoiler alerts but it's been like over a year or so. Um, so i'm not sorry um like it's almost like when you get enter that final scene in the house that you could have four different endings and you just you're trying to figure out which one it is and then it goes left and it's a fifth ending yeah <laughs> it's something you i was just like what just happened and uh you know i i think he continually outdoes himself i think he shows a lot of like versatility in uh the style of directing you know i think he kind of took all his films like it seemed like there was a piece of each one of his films in this like i felt like the character acting was very you know i guess you'd say nostalgic towards inglorious bastards and but then i felt like the cutting and the directing was very very like pulp fiction like just the way it was like just like the actual um like the physical look of the film. So, that's what makes number 5 for me.
0: Let me ask you, there was a lot of controversy with in this film with how Bruce Lee is portrayed. Ah, I knew you were going to get into this. I knew uh, I, was pre- so, I, was prepared, I was prepared for this. I'm glad. Um, I'm glad. <laughs> I want um, to hear your thoughts.
1: Um so obviously it's one of those things like if you don't know if you don't see the film. Uh, Brad Pitt beats up Bruce Lee. Um you know, uh Bruce Lee, legit martial artist. You know, he was um but the argument is that the things that he was all black belts in were schools he created himself. So, was it overhyped? Like I personally didn't live back then, so I don't know. I never seen Bruce Lee like I've seen a, a big martial arts and mixed martial arts fans so i have seen clips of him competing and stuff like that but there's not a whole lot of footage out there um but yeah i mean i think it was uh like i think the the controversy in my opinion was overblown because like that's what you're mad at like out of all the things that happened that he changed in the film like why can't it that just be for film you know because it definitely wouldn't have fit well in the story if bruce lee beat him up But then there's people saying, you know, and I don't know the truth behind this, so I'm just nonsense reporting, but that something like that actually happened. And, you know, I I think it's interesting. Um, I think for it to even be a controversy because it's a movie is stupid. But um, I I definitely don't feel like it's out of the realm of possibility for something like that happen. Also, because... You know Bruce Lee, if I remember correctly, he was like five foot four hundred and thirty pounds, and uh the guy that Brad Pitts portraying was probably about six, three, 200 pounds and if he was at some some point a martial artist, he probably would have kicked Bruce Lee in his chest
0: okay it's interesting i I do think i agree. Yeah, I know what you think about it I agree overall that I think the controversy did not need to to be and I think it's tricky. I can under, and obviously, you know, started with Shannon Lee, Bruce Lee's daughter, and obviously mm-hmm. protecting her father's legacy is closer than mine. You know, I'm a big Bruce Lee fan and respect, you know, from both martial arts and just his influence in a lot of culturally and, and philosophy. So uh, I am a fan, but I get wanting to protect the, the aura, the legacy, the, the mythology that surrounds Bruce Lee, really. But I could kind of get it if this was a true to story form. And, you know, uh the character Cliff Booth was a real person and everything was really real and they're really retelling the story of think people connected to the Manson family like to the T, I can understand mm-hmm. them maybe being upset if it's not documented that it happened or whatever, fine. But this was not, you know, Cliff Booth is not a real person who no. who Brad Pitt is portraying. And, was he
1: like a mash of multiple people in, you know, like as far as like for subject matter? Yeah, of course. Most pe- most characters are right. But he wasn't portraying an actual human being that there is, you know, conflicting
0: accounts of a situation to that nature. And and I do think from <laughs> everything with Bruce Lee, there was a combination like like a lot of us. Could he be humble? Yes. But could he be cocky and arrogant? Sure. And I think. Yeah.
1: That was also the big thing. What was his demeanor really like? They were saying, in, you know, everyone talks about like, you know, because I get, I think it's more of like, you have to like view what a martial artist is. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like a stereotype, like that, as if he's like some Buddhist monk. Like, no, he was a Hollywood star. Like I have to imagine that he had some form of ego, and if you ever met any real martial artists, they're egomaniacs because that's how they got there.
0: Yeah, like there is,
1: of course, there's outliers that don't, you know, partake in like the shit talking and stuff like that. You have guys like Khabib Nurmagomedov and stuff like that who just go in there, smash dudes, and leave. You know, and like takes a lot to get anything like that out of them, but you know, most of them, ninety-nine percent of them, like. It's a sport. They're competitive, you know. So there are, there is ego and pride involved. So I think it's a little ridiculous to think that he was just like this calm, cool, collected person, twenty-four hours a day, seven days a week.
0: Yeah, Bruce Lee had. You definitely say whether arrogance is the key word you want to use or not, but we he had a lot of confidence in himself. And yeah. I do believe that, just like we do now. People have been doing it all the time where there's a debate of who would win, who would do. And it starts from Bruce, the character of Bruce Lee saying he would be, you know, he called him Cassius Clay, but we know him later to be Muhammad Ali in a fight. And that was a talk that Bruce Lee was studying Ali and he was definitely influenced by Ali and his footwork and his his mm-hmm. technique. But like there was talks of it then and at post Bruce Lee's death, the talks have lasted Throughout, until this day, people wondering who would win in that fight. I personally think Ali would have won that, but that's me. Um, yeah, anyone who's a legit fighter and has 100 pounds over the other person. Yeah, you know, he true. has over a foot, has a you know 100 pounds. And what I told the person um, who I saw that with is they have it mixed up. Tarantino has it mixed up with the years because – what according to the film, at this point, he is Muhammad Ali, and he is a little bit older. He's not past his prime, but he's missing time due to take a chance because the Vietnam War. When he yeah, was Cassius true. Clay is a few years before this, and he's even younger and quicker and faster. So I'm like, you pick which one. I think he loses to him when he's Muhammad Ali. If he fights him when he's Cassius Clay, it's even worse to me because – Bruce Lee, only thing you would give him is speed. And at that point, when he's Cassius Clay, Bruce Lee does not have a speed advantage over someone a foot taller and 100 pounds heavier. So it's it's really tough for him. But I thought, long story short, I'm with you, it was overblown, you know, and we, we get mixed up in that this is, there is fictional with this movie, and it is a film. Yeah, absolutely. So I, and hopefully... We're not. This doesn't keep happening. Number five for me. Once upon a time in Hollywood. Uh, let's go. Uh, <laughs> and you and I, we talked about it. If this was a top favorite, Tarantino, this would not make my list.
1: Yes, and I remember we said this to each other. Mm-hmm.
0: That so, like
1: one of my favorites. I don't know about that. Right. But but okay. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No,
0: it's okay. I what I will say is this is a mass there's a lot of not that you know to an extent every movie is a you're walking a lot of tight ropes and juggling a lot of balls and you know kudos to everyone who because you know we know as fans but we're not even really in the industry how hard it is to make a big you know film but with this you know one of the most you know horrific murders in the you know, later half of the 20th century with what happened with the Manson family, when you throw that in and then retelling, you know, Hollywood is very tough on how Hollywood portrays Hollywood. So you have that factor and also the time piece. There was a lot he had. And what I'll give is that there are some individual scenes where the acting is through the roof, especially the, the scenes to me, there's a few with DiCaprio where it's just straight, just you know what he has the lines and maybe he can take some liberties with it but you're you're not knowing if it's if it's funny if it's serious to feel bad for him or to think like hey get over it you're a shallow actor but you're just riveted by him uh brad pitt plays that part of just this mysterious you know kind of drifter and you know like there's something in his past that has affected him, but you don't know what, especially with that generation of men in late 1960s America, he's kind of like the Marlboro man meets like the most interesting man in the world combo. I thought they did really good performances in it. And what I'll give Tarantino is to me, especially I saw it in theaters and then I, I did watch it a couple times after on, you know, my TV. But the cinematography and the way they just set up 1960s Hollywood was spectacular.
1: Yeah, there was no breaks in the fourth wall. Yeah it was it was perfect through and through, and one thing i did I did want to say that I forgot to add into my explanation, which i'm glad you had the same number as me so continue to talk about it because you always get remember more stuff and stuff outside your notes and stuff right. when other people are talking uh, is that this was the first time that like a three hour movie for me not the first time but one of the few times that it felt like it needed to be that long. Like and I didn't really lose interest anywhere. There was no dry spots in the movie, and even the parts of the movie that were slower were not dry spots for me. That there was, it was a lot of like laying ground, and you know, so it was all. St- if it wasn't, you know, like the uh, the in-your-face character acting, it was story building.
0: I I'll so. say this: when you get to what the the ending of the, the the big ending of the movie, it makes you go, "Okay, it was." it it was worse to build up. I did have feelings of, I get why, and I do like movies, you know, just like I like podcasts and people who have listened to me know, um, to be long form, like let people get that time to tell their story. Um, I'm always for that. I did feel like at times the movie, it was kind of long on things and it, 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 I understood the importance of why they did it, but it, it kind of dragged on. But then when you get to the ending, it connects, and to me, you know, this soundtrack is very weird. It doesn't – I don't think the soundtrack breaks a movie for me, but it definitely can make a movie. And yeah. I, I think one of the best – you know, Tarantino's known for soundtracks. This was one of the best. And just him having, you know, vanilla fudge at the end of that part, you know, playing in the build up to the, the climactic scene with the Manson family coming to the house – and that big you know when he kind of like takes it to him it's it's just unbelievable and the way yeah. it's built you know and you have that remix to the supremes you know vanilla fudge you keep me hanging on and the guitar yeah. just it, it was just a brilliant scene and it kind of was like okay it's worth it and i and i'll say this before we get to your number 4 there's two scenes that when the music just carries i feel like this one And then there's another part where you have DiCaprio, you know, Rick and, and, and Cliff Booth, just driving around downtown LA in the cinematography. Like you feel like you're watching 1960s Hollywood and to have Jose Feliciano's California dreaming playing was just beautiful. And, and it it was just sometimes like, like I said, I don't think for me, a soundtrack does not break a movie, but it can put a movie over the edge and, this is one time it definitely did that. So we're in agreement so far. Number five for me, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Awesome.
1: Uh, so number six for me. Or four. Or number four 4 I'm sorry. It's the way I list them in my phone. For some reason, it doesn't let me do it the other way. Gotcha. Um, so this might be one of the unpopular opinions. And like I don't know if it's whether because it made it in or because how low it is. But number four for me is Reservoir Dogs. Okay um so tarantino's first major motion picture um the the birth of the a band apart uh which is for if you don't know his production company and you know this is where the famous image that they use which is the five guys in black and white suits um and the name he stole from the uh, french movie of the same name um and not stole but you borrowed more or less yeah and uh you know i i like this movie is one of the movies i could talk about all day because like going back like this movie is perfect to watch in hindsight you know like once it gets to the end because like i've explained this movie to so many people like this movie, like it all the easter eggs in the movie throughout the movie like obviously the the uh the powerful that the acting through from the other people like from everybody like you know i mean you have brucemi Kaitel uh michael mattis uh pen's brother uh, uh chris pen chris, chris pen uh and uh, tarantino himself um which is which is cool that I I like that every once in a while he adds himself in a movie and sometimes bigger or sometimes medium like medium to small parts, um, and sometimes he's like a really important part which like normally you would feel is like pretty pretentious, but he never really kind of drops the ball with the acting in my opinion. So it always kind of makes it makes it good and it's always cool and it's always like an Easter egg to see like. Oh, Whenever I'm watching a Tarantino movie, I'm going to be like, is he going to show up in this one? But, uh, yeah, so, like, the opening scene, right, gives you the entire movie. Like, within the first 25 seconds of the film, you know, because this whole time in the movie that you're trying to figure out who's the snitch, right? In the first, literally, I think it's like 46 seconds of the first scene when the waitress, when when they say, who didn't tip? Mr. Orange goes, Mr. Pink didn't tip. Nobody else says anything at the table. Mm Mm-hmm. So, like, it gives the movie away right there, you know, everything you're looking for. And, uh, you know, I, there are all different scenes, you know, like, that that scene itself, like, you know, Tarantino is known for his dialogue. And just, like, the interactions between everybody. Like, there's so many, like, that first scene at the table in the diner is, there's so many things going on that I feel like if anyone else would have did it, that scene would have seemed chaotic. But, like, you have a table full of chaotic men, so Tarantino made it make sense. And, like, because you have that going on, you have um, the dude trying to figure the song out, and then you have the uh, the book, him trying to get his book back from Harvey Keitel, and, you know, Mr. Pink saying he doesn't tip. This is all in, in like, a three-minute or less scene. Yeah. And it's just like a lot of subject matter. It's a lot of, you know, laying the platform for the movie out. And, <clears throat> you know, uh, you have, uh, like, going through the movie, just the uh, the uh, stuck in the middle with you scene where uh, Michael Mannis cuts a police officer's ear off and then talks into it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's It has to be one of the most iconic scenes in film. Uh, just like once again, the music making it like that scene would have been a lot less light lighthearted without without the uh, music, right? Oh yeah, it would have been a little more sick and disturbing if it was just completely quiet. Which Tarantino, obviously, not the first guy to do something like that, because it almost seems like, in my opinion, that the scene was a reshoot and the song was an afterthought. Interesting, and interesting. That's how I felt about it, but only maybe that's knowing what I know because like there's other uh, famous scenes that were different the first time around, and then in an the afterthought they added music to them. I think the greatest example, in my opinion, is in a Clockwork Orange, the singing in the rain scene.
0: Yeah, um,
1: that wasn't original. Yeah, that wasn't originally in there. They reshot that and had because it was too dark, and there was it. You know. Kubrick thought that there was missing something which we all know anyone knows anything about film knows Kubrick is the key to a perfectionist and is if you ask Shelley Duvall a sociopath and we'll make you do something a million times before he thinks that's right mm-hmm. and um other than that um I think it's a lot of hold on one second uh, it's a lot of uh, I think this is like the movie obviously being that his first movie it it laid out his career right like I can't think of too many people like a lot of people make good movies in their first film but a movie that created someone's legacy in their first two hours of film that people see it. and like now like with him like you knew what to expect you know what I mean
0: right I um yeah, I think it is. It's. I, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna follow up here, you know, because not to get lost. This is my number two, Reservoir Dogs, and it would make my top five favorites, but it probably wouldn't be two. But why I feel two, and you said you talk, you know, so well about everything. What I what I'll try to add to it is the legacy and importance of what it did for, you know, to me in the 90s, maybe you could start in the late 80s. I feel like Spike Lee had a, he was laying the groundwork and, you know, especially once Do the Right Thing in 89 came out. But in the 90s was a real boom for independent filmmakers. And if I think even more than, you know, a Kevin Smith with Clerks, I look at this one as really like the foundation for that boom in the 90s. And, I give it because uh, Quentin Tarantino helped to write True Romance. Right. And True Romance, there is that scene with James Gandolfini and, and him beating up the, uh, the, the female protagonist. It's graphic, and it's in your face, and he's coming to kill her. And which, you know, what kind of to me is setting up what we see here. And this kind of started really a good conversation about on-screen violence. And that which is what Tarantino's movies are known for, it kind of led to that. And I think you're totally right in such an epic scene with Michael Madsen cutting off the ear and stuck in the middle with you playing. And it has that like like you're kinda like this guy is he's crazy, he's a psychopath, and you wanna look away because it's so graphic, but then you, you can't look away because you're just like you're you're psychoanalyzing both the cop and like how you would feel if you were the cop and seeing this person, the pain you're feeling, but then he's talk, he's mocking, he's talking to your ear and then you're psychoanalyzing mm-hmm. Michael Madison and just how crazy is this guy? And to me, I, I also say, I love the kind of like a darker oceans 11 kind of feel like they got this big job and, and, you know, the, to me, the way it's just kind of cutting through and you're trying to figure out who is the, the, the undercover cop. But then you're getting a breakdown of, you know, Tim Roth and Mr. Orange and just the acting in it. And to me, the. The realness of what it is, you know, when you're putting together a team, whether it's to do the right thing and, you know, in in non-criminal activity or criminal activity, you're dealing with a lot of characters and a lot of personalities trying to keep them on the same page. And that to me is a lot of the the humor in this. But I just think it's so important that in establishing Tarantino um, as this this different kind of storyteller and a guy who was laying the foundation for the career that we see today, I think that's why Reservoir Dogs to me is number two and just its importance in the history of film, when it, and especially in that '90s boom of independent filmmaking, it's it's it, you can't understate that so. For me it's my number two.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, that's it's you know, it's incredible. I I I I've seen obviously I don't know about you, but I seen Pulp Fiction first.
0: Mm-hmm. Me too.
1: And what I love about them is um like they're they're, I'm not sure exactly how many years apart they are.
0: I want to say about but, two, at least when they right. came out.
1: But I love that there's no... It's like a seamless transition between the two, because, uh, which I'm sure a lot of people know, that they're both in that band-apart universe. They both have characters that are the same. Uh, some arguably, right? Whether they're the same person or not. And... uh it's cool that I watched them backwards and didn't feel like I missed anything. Like yeah. I thought that was really, really interesting that they're not linear.
0: They're parallel. Absolutely. And I think we're not, I think a lot of people did that. It, you know, you did, you, you saw Pulp Fiction and then you heard a lot of, there was a buzz like, well, if you've seen Pulp Fiction, you got to see his first one, Reservoir Dogs. And a lot of people were like us and went back then. And saw Reservoir Dogs, and it kind of felt like it was like Pulp Fiction, like is a sequel. A lot of the actors are in both the films. Like it, it, it was, it was very. And I agree with you. I liked the how you phrased it. it. They're, they're parallel. They're in this parallel universe, and uh, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's really, really fascinating. And so I, I totally agree. All right. So so. That would move on to your four? Sure. I will go to my four. And this one is going to start something that might be controversial. I didn't know how to take it. We didn't. I'm like, I, sh- I should have clarified, but I'm not sure. But I'm going to go four, Kill Bill, volume two. That's my four. And. I'm purpose- purposefully not reacting. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I wish I wish you could feel the overwhelming disappointment I feel for your opinion.
0: <laughs> That's <laughs> fine. That's fine. I will say this: I am someone who thought that the Kill Bill set were both two and one phenomenal movies, and I feel like to me, when we're focusing, uh, you know, just on part two, volume two, but the way it goes you know, into just more of the backstory of of who she was, of who the bride Uma Thurman's character was and the training she got and more understanding of, you know, it really sinking in like she's coming for us and also them kind of, a lot of the, the people she's getting in part two realizing like we also deserve our fate. But still kind of fighting it off, but kind of reconciling with that. I thought that it was just really well done. You still have the, the really the class, like you said, Tarantino with the samurai and martial arts and like a grindhouse kind of film. And his yeah. still tribute to Spaghetti Westerns, the way it's shot, I thought, was beautiful. And I really do think that it's one of the ones I give credit to because it's a sequel to me. I do. Th- I do think I am someone who thinks it is hard when a sequel is on par with the original or better, and this one I feel like it, it's on par, and I don't have it ahead still- of the fr- first one. But I think it's it's you can make that argument, and I just felt like it told a great the storytelling that was continued and completed. I left volume two not only feeling fulfilled because of the happy ending, but feeling fulfilled. For- I wasn't I didn't have a lot of questions. I wasn't like well, how this it answered them in the right way for me. So that's that's why I will say I for me number 4 is Kill Bill Volume 2.
1: Um so here's my thing. <laughs> right. I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> Let it rip. Um ne- neither of those made my list. Yeah. Um so here's what I will say to its credit, right? We'll start with the credit. We'll start
0: with the <laughs> Okay.
1: cinematography top-notch like absolutely insane the actors around the mains great absolutely the fight scenes like with the with the crazy 88 and all that well that's in part one Right, I'm just saying, I'm talking about them as a whole. Yeah. Uh, because I like that he refers to them as volume one and volume two. Because it's not really a sequel. It's a continuation. It's it's less of a hard break between the two. To, You know what I mean? Like, you need both those films. And you need that full story. Like, I don't think part one, or part two, or yeah, part one exists without part two. Like, in a good space. Because it would have left way too much out. Yeah. Uh, in my opinion. So... I think there's a lot of great things about that movie, but I was sincerely underwhelmed and continue to be underwhelmed. I would say about once every year and a half, two years, I try to rewatch both of them and be like, okay, what am I missing? Like what, where is it? I'm missing something. And every time I feel underwhelmed, but it's just me. It's my personal opinion on that one. Um, it's the personal opinion. I couldn't shake, uh, you know, like the the biggest thing that I got out of those two movies is Quentin Tarantino likes feet. Uh, you know, that, that's that, that's it for me. Like when everybody stood and applauded that movie, I was the guy in the back with Doritos yelling "boo!"
0: Wow. Like, See, I don't, I, I, I don't think it's. I thought it's. I mean, because all right, if you want to, and I can roll with it if you want to make them like one, like so we can put one in. I, I can have them as one and two together. That's fine with me. Uh, if you want to do that, What is be- what, it's hard to find a better opening than when I mean, you look at Kill Bill Volume 1 and the scene between Uma Thurman and Vivica A. Fox. It was unbelievable. And the fact that yeah. you kind of knew it from, because the trailer kept hyping that up, like the you know, the daughter coming in there and stuff, and they stopped fighting. It did not change a damn thing. That, that was instant. Two badass ladies going at it, and then even how sneaky it was with Vivica Fox with the cereal box and firing the gun, and it, mm. it, it was that it just started off opened up great, and then to me the scene with the crazy eighty eight, it's weird because a part of me feels like yeah it goes on for such a long time, but yet it still is just this badassery, and you're just reveling in it, and you're loving that scene. So I just really thought especially then if you want to combine them both one and two, which is fine. It does a great job of one setting you up that she is on a mission. She is pissed off and you kind of get, okay, something bad happened to her. She was put in this coma and it's even funny, you know, getting in, you know, stealing the guy's truck with the whole pussy wagon, you know, on the back and then just doing her bad. And then two sets up the real heart of it. And the real what's going on and how she became this badass. And yeah, you, know, you get the heartbreak of Bill knowing he's setting her up and telling her she's a, a beautiful bride and her getting shot up like that in the church. And then you do get the happy ending with him, you know, her finding out she had a daughter and getting the daughter to raise her daughter. But I I I'm different I I these are movies I I do love. And I on a personal note but I think they're they're very well done. It's
1: it's it's one of it's one of those things <laughs> that like I keep revisiting it because I feel like I'm missing something. Like it's not one of those things. Like there are certain things that we've talked about these things before that like it's like where people are like you just don't understand, and I'm like no, I do understand. That's why I don't like it. Mm-hmm. Like, this is one of those things I, I really do feel like I'm missing something. And I'm sure because it's been a while after this conversation we're having, I'm going to go back and watch them again. And I'm going to be like, all right, let's give it another shot. Maybe I will see something. Maybe I'm just missing some element to the film that, like, maybe until this, these last 18 months or so, since the last time I've seen it, my brain matured. You know, there are certain things in life that I know I'm just not mature enough to understand. Like like Like, joy division. Like I'm just not sure <laughs> enough to like Joy Division. I, I don't. I don't get it. I, I, you know, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of thing like our Pet Sounds by the Beach Boys. I just don't. I, I'm like, yeah, oh, yeah. If we got
0: in the music. Then and my list goes way <laughs> higher. Even so, I'm I'm on that. So and Pet Boys <laughs> right. being one of them. So yeah, absolutely. So <laughs> I'm with you. Um,
1: yeah, and I think like it's fair for like this list and the purpose because of how short his film fit like his filmography is to put them both together like I, I, you know i i feel like it's hard to talk about one without the other but i do understand you picking two over one
0: yeah i do i do i do understand that so okay um so we'll get to so your so, number three that's my number four your number three
1: my number three is i will say my personal favorite on the list um which was hard for me not to put at number one. And I will also say, and you'll probably know what movie I'm talking about, it's, I, in my opinion, is his most underrated movie. And that would be Jackie Brown. Okay, all right. Um, I think this is like the big con, that like, we would be like, oh, you put Jackie Brown on the list, but you didn't put either the Kill Bills on the list. Um, yes, that's, I did do that. Uh, you know, I I remember out of all the movies I've ever seen of his, the first time being more riveted by this movie than any of his other movies. Um, I'm not quite sure what was the initial spark of what what it was that made me love the movie so much. But, you know, I, I just I personally think it's brilliant. I, I think uh, uh, Pam Greer, absolutely incredible. Uh, Robert Forster, uh, Forster, I think is what he mm-hmm. said, as the, as the bounty hunter Samuel Jackson, um, you know, just just everybody, Robert De Niro, like Robert De Niro, Michael Keaton, Bridget Fonda, like one of his most star-studded casts that early in his career. Like there was some serious heat in that movie. Yeah, like as far as like acting talent, and it what I like about the movie is that you can feel like a lot of people were in that movie because they wanted to be in a Tarantino film. And um, you know, obviously it's based off of uh, Rum Punch, the uh, I'm trying to remember the the author's name. Um, Oh, um, something with an E. Elmore Leonard. Elmore Leonard's Rum Punch. Um, It's like, you know, it's, it's a pulp it's a pulp novel. And there's, I, I could honestly talk about. So, like, one of my favorite scenes is them breaking down to her how much trouble she's in in the, uh, in like the parking garage of the airport where they tell her to pull the stuff out of the bag. And just like the way she disrespectfully lights a cigarette.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like, as I said, I don't really care what you're talking about. Yeah. Because she doesn't understand the weight of how much trouble she's actually in, and then like move on to the the scene, you know, where uh, you know Robert De Niro <laughs> kills the girl in the parking lot. Like all this, all this stuff they just did, all this running around, and all this setting things up, just to be like, you know what, I'm killing you. Like what a turn, what 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 a plot turn, and uh, you know Samuel Jackson putting the dude in the trunk. Mhm like amazing. Um like I said personal favorite and also I don't think the movie personally in my opinion gets enough praise. I think it's kind of his like forgotten film. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I um what? Oh, go ahead. I'm assuming it's not on your list. It was I it's close. It's um I I kept it off. I did keep it off. But but I, I so I, I but it's close. I do like it and I'm I'm a big Pam Greer fan and big you know lover of the black exploitation films of the '70s. So it's great to see Pam Greer in here and I liked her movies in the '70s. So it's a great like homage to kind of see her being a badass in these movies now. Um, for me and this is probably always I keep it real. And there's other movies that I've kept on that are different, you know, obviously. But I will say, I, I, I guess the biggest criticism for me is what it got knocked for, and that's the use of the n-word constantly, and which probably one of my biggest criticisms with Tarantino. I can respect his artistry, mm-hmm. but that you know, and he and, he, and there's movies that I'm gonna be off my list personally that I didn't really, you know, like it a lot seeing it in either. And it's just, uh, yeah, I mean, we can cut right to the chase in Pulp Fiction In in, In Pulp Fiction um, and a lot of things. It's just, uh, you you know, the hateful, I do like, I, I, right. And I don't like the fact
1: that it's repetitive, like with him that he's done it in a bunch of films.
0: And it's, it's a thing that will always, I can separate and say he is a different storyteller On a personal note, I will always have a problem with him with that. And I'll never be, like, okay with it because even trying to respect art and, all right, if you're doing a period piece or whatever and you're putting it in here, like, for, like, okay. But it almost, to me, is like he's just trying to get the ooh effect or the awe effect. And I never like it. I'm not a fan of anyone for anything whether it's when it's violent. I'm not anti anything of violence or language or sex, but when you're doing it just to kind of like be excessive and just trying to like ooh and ah, it turns me off as a fan of of movie or, or it could be TV. And that is one of probably my biggest knock for this movie. It's just used where it's like it doesn't have to be. And even when like Samuel L. Jackson tried to defend it, I'm like, well, this movie's set in the mid nineties. It's not like it's set in I don't know. It's just uh it's it's the reason why it's not on my I think it is a star studded cast, it's great acting. I like, you know, having that, you know we're seeing it more and more now, but this movie came out in like ninety seven and the female lead being a badass. And to me, I still I love the fact that I, Pam Greer probably is in her four late forties, early fifties at this point. And yeah, Keeping probably. her in a lead, which is, we know this, what they say about Hollywood, especially with you know actresses. And once they're a certain age, not getting those roles. I like that he did that in this movie. But his use with that word is a big turnoff to me for him in a lot of his movies and this one in particular.
1: Yeah, I mean, there, I, I agree with you. I think maybe because it's less in this movie than some of the others that maybe that's why it didn't stand out as much to me, but there are, um I'll just be, you know, brutally honest. Uh Django didn't make it to my list because of that. I thought it was overused. I thought it was a crutch in the movie. Um, You know, I think some of the acting is really good, but I felt like it was like, he, he was trying to see how many times he could get away with. Mm-hmm. And we've actually, we've talked about that before. That like, I'm not the biggest Django Unchained fan. No. I think it's a good movie. I I think that they a lot of the actors do a really good job with what they were handled. I but,
0: yeah, I I think it was one of the more overrated movies in in, in the past twenty years is is Shango Unchained, I thought. And if you want to go to the to the what? decade of the two thousand tens, it's one of the most overrated. I I thought I will give, like, DiCaprio's performance. I thought Christoph Waltz, who I love but did not deserve an Oscar for Best Supporting for that, um, liked Jamie Foxx, liked him, didn't love him, liked him. But to me, it was just he was really trying to play on a lot of the the stereotypes from slavery time and really just trying to me like he was having, like, almost too much fun doing it. And I thought it just yeah. wasn't a good movie, really. I, I did not like Django Unchained. I, I think that if we do his worst, that's pretty high on, like, that's at the top two for me is is Django.
1: Yeah, that wouldn't even have made my honorable difference.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: so I'm glad we agree on that. So maybe our lists are a lot more similar. than Yeah, that.
0: yeah, that's true. That's true. Um uh, so I guess that brings to, us to yours. To my number three, I will go with uh I got you know, I just mentioned Christoph Waltz, and to me, he by far deserved the Oscar for this one. Uh, and it's inglorious bastards. And to me, especially if I have once upon a time in Hollywood on my list, what he did of taking a, you know something that was really tragic in in, in history, and putting a different spin on it. You know, he did it in once upon a time, but really an in Inglorious Bastards. And to me, this the performances you get from Christoph Waltz, it was chilling. Yeah. <laughs> you know, him being Hans and, and and just it it was just unreal. And to me, it's like one of the times that when, you know, he was a supporting actor, but I was like. And maybe this sounds bad, cause I don't want to denigrate winning a support, but I'm like, it's where supporting almost sounds negative, because to me, he was the guy that you had to keep watching in that film. It was just, he just had you hooked, and I was, and he, it was one of those performances where i for me, I don't know about you, Steve, but I didn't know him <laughs> really before that movie, but after I left the theaters, I instantly going on Google, and who is this guy? And why don't I know him? And shame on me if I should have, you know. It just was one of those movies. And to me, for doing something World War Two time and dealing with Nazi Germany. And a lot of times, unless it's in a documentary form, a lot of movie. I'm not the biggest time period guy when it comes to that. But the spin he put on it and the way it just had me, you know rooting for, you know, the, 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 the bastards that, 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 that commando unit and, you know, kind of hooked on them and just seeing it. And, you know, the way you see having Hitler in the film and him interviewing private butts, it's just, uh, it's, it's legit a really, really, really good movie. And I give it credit. And it's one of those ones, like you said, I, it's props to Brad Pitt. Michael Fassbender, it's a combination of the cinematography, of the directing, and the acting all coming together and making it a great film. So for that I gotta put in Bastards at number three. Okay. Um
1: you know, I'm going to be giving into Glorious Bastards shortly, but uh <laughs> uh yeah, I the one thing I will comment on now is that that like when the first time like Like that opening scene, right, where he's switching languages, right? And you can clearly see it's not dubbed and it's not somebody else doing it. A, I was like, hold on a second. What did I miss? Where did this dude come from? And I had to rack my brain a little bit. And the only other thing I'd seen him in up to that point was a, a Canadian film called Dorian. Which was about the uh Dorian Gray, the book the Oscar Wilde yeah. book. Um and but it wasn't like anything, you know, to write home about. So like but like I think he has to be one of like the greatest examples of just being a powerhouse right from the start. I I mean if you would have took it like hey, how many Oscars did he win in a short period of time? Did he has yeah, two. Yeah, he had Django and Inglorious Bastards and you know, there were some other performances that like you know, I think he's kind of taken a little bit of a spiral down in time. Yeah, You know, he, he's done some things that, you know, the 007 film and a few other things I wasn't necessarily a fan of but I can't tell if it's the writing or maybe he just wasn't fit for the the role but I mean I'll get into it. I'll get into it. (laughs) I don't want to take away from me talking. No,
0: no, it's, it's, it's honestly, um, I, and I agree with you. That opening scene is, is powerful and the way, and honestly it's, it's tragic, but you can't look away. And that's the thing, like to take, you know, my fandom out of it and just observing it. It was so well done. And it's kind of like, you know, you kind of feel like you, you see Christoph Walt, you know, what's coming to this poor family, but just the way that massacre happened. And then, you know, with the daughter escaping and he kind of, he lets her go. He decides to spare her. It's, it's kind of like, does he have a heart? Does he not? But he, obviously he doesn't. Cause what you just saw him, him, you know, perform, but it's just a weird scene. And you're right. You're kind of just like, what did I just see? And I'm, I'm yeah, always going to well... give credit for it that in any genre of art where I'm like I'm sitting there and I'm I'm not like, oh okay, I see something like it's kinda like where I haven't seen anything like this. This is different. I don't know what I'm seeing. Like and I give Tarantino credit for that. He 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 will hook you from the start in his movies. Now the question of can he lose you, which you know, sometimes he can. But you're you're hooked. You're not I'm not like man, like we're thirty minutes in and nothing's happening. like you're hooked from the start with his films. I give him that. So, And this movie was a, a great example of it, too. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And like I said,
0: I'll be talking about it more. Yeah, so that's my number three. <laughs> I guess we got to get to year two.
1: Right, it's going to be my two and then our ones, because you already went over your number mm-hmm. two. Um, so that brings me my number two. Pulp Fiction. Um. I feel like obviously this is the one film, if not all of them, but the one we could do an entire podcast just on pulp fiction. Yeah, up. uh, like that was him cementing, like I'm one of the greats, whether you like it or not. You know, because like Tarantino, kind of a polarizing figure. You know, um, it seems like a lot of his his you know, substance and material and stuff seems like it was formed in a cocaine binge in a a Thai hotel with hookers. And, you know, it's like, what, this dude is a maniac. And, like, if if you, like, look into him, like, as an actual person, you know, he's, like, a wild guy. And uh, he does things that are necessarily, like, off the cuff, like we've spoke about with, like, pushing the boundary, using specific language. uh, But, like, this, you know, being kind of pre to that, Um, like, I mean, this was kind of the first example of it in the movie with them shooting Marvin, but, uh, you know, this is the film that has transcended every single culture possible. It will continue to be talked about forever. And, uh, definitely it it might be the most influential film of the nineties. If not, it's in the top five easily. Mm. Uh I know that's like a big ticket to attach to something.
0: No, it's it's, uh, it's interesting.
1: Uh but like not, just what he did like all the actors that he picked you could arguably say were on a downswing in their careers or were typecast at that point. Like John Travolta being number mm-hmm. 1, you know, and to have them being completely outside of kind of the box that they've never really Not to do anything like you know um this shows in my opinion that tarantino is one of the kings of dialogue you know and like the king of improvising so like we can talk about like samuel jackson with the whole prayer before he kills people thing that's not even a real prayer like the first seven words of it are
0: right And
1: and then it's just Samuel Jackson just saying something, and it it sounded really good in succession. And you know, letting that happen to the whole ambiguity of the the briefcase, and like that's something that still gets talked about now. You know, when you talk about the great questions in film, what's in the fucking briefcase? Yeah. And, like, just, like, whether it was purpose, purposely or not, adding the band-aid to the back of Marcellus, to Ving Rhames' neck. Like, was that just to cover the actual scar that he has from hair loss treatment? Or was that purposeful to, like, the whole Chinese thing, the Chinese myth of putting his soul in in the box? You know what I mean? Like, and it just, it raises so many questions. It'll forever be talked about, like, as a topic piece. Like why does this happen? Why does that happen? Um It's four stories in one. It's the greatest example of a nonlinear timeline in a movie. Um You can try all you want to put it in the correct order, but like it always seems like he leaves something out of place so you can't uh, the The diner scene, you know what I mean, and then merging the stories together. There are so many different, you know, I mean, like to to sit and like point out a few scenes that I love to talk about, to submit my point and putting it at number two, does the movie a disjustice? Because I, I would have to go through the entire movie. Yeah, You know, and every time that I talk about the movie, like and start talking about a scene, I have to think about like I keep like when I was just talking a second ago, I was going to bring up a scene and then I was thinking in my head like, oh, no, do I ever talk about the gimp scene? No, do I talk about the diner scene? Do I talk about the you know? Which, uh,
0: I I can't pick. One no, one. you're right, and I and maybe that you're sparking an idea for a future episode. Me and you can do because I think Pulp Fiction alone can be its own and it's, it's worthy of its own you know podcast and and breaking it down. Let me. I want to ask your opinion on this the the ninety you know it, you know obviously it aired in February of ninety five but the ninety four Oscars are are controversial and legendary for a lot of reasons and and it was snubbed and, and well Pulp Fiction was nominated but but it wasn't it was snubbed well let me ask you because you have I I want to hear because there's Pulp Fiction well I can even because we Forrest Gump won Best yeah, I know. Picture. <laughs> <laughs> but Shawshank Redemption was also nominated mm. as as well. So I, I if we do a, always if we feel do like, a, like going the, back uh, in time and we get a chance to redo these um what would you would you say pulp fiction should win best picture that year? Okay, so first of all, I would like
1: to say that Forrest Gump is a atrocious piece of shit. Um but other than that uh, moving on, I th- and we've talked about that before. That is my least favorite movie. I ever. love.
0: I'm a big. F- uh, I think it's it. It should uh, not have won Best Picture. No, I like no, it. Not even close. I think it is a great movie. It is not one of it, it's, but it's an all time performance. I feel more than it than all time. Yes, movie. but it's a really. I yeah, love. The movie. Yeah. I think it is a, a hell of a movie. But his Tom Hanks' performance is one of the best performances ever, in my opinion, as Forrest Gump. But But continue go I'm sorry um I think so you
1: put me in 1994 when the when the Oscars happened or 93 whenever the whichever month it was um I probably would have picked Shawshank
0: Mm -hmm.
1: now you ask me that question looking back with the facts that we have and seeing the legacies of the movies I picked Pulp Fiction
0: okay so now we, I'll, I'll um, let me just say we have for that year that was nominated for Best Picture, Forrest Gump, Four Weddings and a Funeral,
1: Pulp Fiction,
0: Quiz Show, and Shawshank. And you're right, Four Weddings and a Funeral. I was thinking the same thing, a very good movie as well. So that, that's a that's a um, pretty loaded Best Picture. So,
1: so basically, anyone besides Forrest Gump, uh, Literally, the only one that I like, I, I can almost see an argument. Maybe Forrest Gump and Quiz Show, like, I mean, but they're all besides Forrest Gump, good movies. Quiz
0: Show's very good like, movie, too.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a good movie. It's just, I, I don't think it's Shawshank.
0: No, you know, it, or, no, on, in a different year, Quiz Show could win. Same with Four Weddings yeah, and a Funeral, sure. but it's stacked up against a lot here. <laughs> it's, it's just stacked. This is a very stacked like, best picture.
1: But here's the thing with the Oscars. I don't respect them at all. No, no. Um, like anyone who actually like has any real like respectable opinion in film knows that the Oscars gives everyone an Oscar way too late for the film they never should have got it for. You know, like let's uh, DiCaprio, for example, like The Revenant. Really? Like, Absolutely. I would, honestly, I would honestly rather stare at my wall for three and a half hours and never watch that movie. Ever oh, yet. it was
0: terrible yeah
1: it was and like there was nothing great about that movie but you know to each their own i guess but like it felt like you know we could come up with three four three to four other movies that he should have gotten for starting with catch me if you can you know like he probably should have won it for that um but you know and you keep going but that's just
0: i you know, I, I, you know. i'll say this <laughs> no we, we definitely we can he, he, and for those who are listening and don't know but and probably have, can tell We definitely, that's this, when we were working together, this was epic. Steve and I can talk about anything, (laughs) music, history, you know, and movies and TV and even MMA. And we could just, we could go for hours. We were podcasting before we were podcasting.
1: But almost especially MMA, because I'm always, I'm like Conor McGregor's lawyer. You are,
0: you are. (laughs) But I'll say this to your point. I think the big – because you're right, the Oscars are overrated, but they still are the gold standard in which the industry – and, you know, there's a reason people – Academy Award winner, fill in the blank. Like, it's important. It shouldn't be. But I I remember Bill Simmons saying with the Oscars what would be fun, what you should do is, like, whether you want to say it's five or ten years or 20, but, like, it says every ten years looking back and seeing, all right, what movie really should have won and has made an impact – in film like now that we have some time and i can be honest i can understand pulp fiction not winning back if i go back to 94 because it was so different and it's we know the nd stuff not that it was right but it's so different i don't understand to this day and it would be my pick still to this day how shawshank got snubbed back then and then when you look oh, time going by it's it's even crazier. That I don't get why Shawshank did not win back in '94.
1: Yeah, I mean Shawshank is arguably one of the greatest movies ever. Um, like, the, and it, that's not something that's like constantly on my watch list, but like I know, you know what I mean. That is that is a magnum opus of a yeah. film. You know, like it, I knew that the first time I seen it. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that was, you know, I could have watched it back then. Like, obviously, I was one years old then. But, like, I would have
0: known. Ba- Baby Steven. Known. <laughs> no, it's. So, that that does that bring. That brings. That was your number two. So, I guess we'll move to
1: your number one and I'll close it yeah. out. Switch it up. So,
0: my number one, and it's good, I guess we'll I'll piggyback it. And roll with, uh, we're talking Pulp Fiction is my number one. And and I know it can probably be say, like, oh, of course, or that's an easy pick. But I'll say this. You can make an argument if it's the best movie of the 90s, okay? I don't, to me, there's no argument it's the most important movie of the 90s. Like, that is one I think you, you you know, not obviously people can have the opinion and debate it, but for me, hands down, this is the most important movie of the 90s in so many facets. And from things just like we now see, it's kind of common, you know, Steve, to see big star actors and actresses do an independent, I don't know, they'll do a studio film and an independent. You know, and then they'll, they may go back to a studio. You know, it's okay to see them switching back and forth now. Back in '94, when Bruce Willis is doing this, that was a huge deal.
1: Yeah, that was you know post Lethal
0: Weapon or, or uh, Die post, Hard. Uh, right, actually, Die Hard. Yeah, sorry. And,
1: yeah, the post Die Hard, like post a lot of things. Yeah,
0: and you did not see that back then. That was that was a first. You 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 talked about him resurrecting John Travolta's career and you know and I talked a little bit about when you brought up Jackie Brown for your list and what he did for for Pam Greer I feel like because of what he did for Travolta gave him the guts to do that for Pam Greer a few years later um you -hmm. know because Travolta was kind of like oh that forgotten you know He did Welcome Back, Cotter, and Saturday Night Fever, and Grease, you know, 15, at that point, 15 years before. But, you know, you can't really bank a movie with Travolta now in the mid-90s. And this, I think Travolta's really in our lexicon today because of Pulp Fiction.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, you can't leave out Phenomenon. I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I mean... Like, and let's let's be honest. Bruce Willis not the best no. actor ever. Um, but Tarantino's writing sure turned him into a good one.
0: To yeah, yeah. Like
1: him as Butch. Like, uh, like, I agree. I, I like. I don't think he had some crazy performance where it was like like a Christoph Waltz performance. But I I think it made sense. Like, and I can appreciate something making a lot of sense for sure. You know, because like he i don't know he was just perfect in like him and uh you know i i the actress is which is his counterpart in the movie i'm not sure her name uh, off the top of my head but fabian in the movie um is just like the dynamic is beautiful you know it's sick it's twisted it's tarantino but but it's beautiful and like the whole watch thing and their you know public talking yeah five years but, yeah, I mean, it's definitely, in my opinion, the most important movie in the 90s, and I don't think that's coming from a place of bias. I think that's coming from a place of yeah. research. But,
0: uh, it's hard to name another one, We, you we look uh, from what it did for Miramax, and Miramax pretty much became a major player in Hollywood because of this movie.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah, that is true that I forgot that's the house that that came mm-hmm. out of, you know? And, oh... Like because like, before that, I'm trying to think of films that they were, um, like what was their like you know grand films for like their years you know what like the crying yeah game it, it it and it, and the the piano
0: you know it really it really banked off a of, off of Pulp Fiction, and to me it was looking at we don't I don't think talking about enough when we talk about great bromances in film. But Vincent Vega and Jewel and the chemistry that Travolta and Samuel had was phenomenal. And, oh, you know, like, those are some of my favorite scenes. I would say
1: 90% of the people who know this information in America know that it's a reality Yes. Yeah. Because of that movie. Like, there might be maybe one in ten that actually been out in France right. and been in a McDonald's. Maybe less. Maybe way even less. I think I might be underselling it a little bit. But yeah, that just that conversation is one of the most iconic dialogues in film.
0: And I think in recent but, time it's been one of those it's one of those films that shows how the importance of writing and don't get me wrong, they acted the hell out of it. But it's just basic dialogue that me and you could have, but I don't believe. I mean, a lot of the conversations me and you have are fascinating to to me. I don't think like, oh, you could just put them on screen and people will watch. But with with the writing and directing and the acting all combined, it's that sometimes just two guys or two people talking is fascinating in itself. You don't need big explosions or gotta have the. You just have two people talking. The dialogue is great, and this movie to me. For me personally, and there's movies before and after that have done that, but it's a lot of times just the conversations are as interesting as the action.
1: It, and it's funny. I think it's one, and it's one of those things. Like I said, it's transcendent because, like, people quote that movie and don't even know they're Absolutely, the movie. like people who've seen it. Like, I use quotes from that movie in my everyday life. Like, not really disclosing what I do for a living, but. You know, sometimes I walk into work, and when I go to put my hand on that door to walk, walk into work, I say, oh, "We should have a job." <laughs> 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 like it's just everything. Like I, that movie is absolutely
0: incredible. One of my personal favorites of um, time. Just and you can go to. You're right. The non-linear. I don't think a movie. I, I think you said earlier, a movie has not done non-linear storytelling better than what Pulp Fiction did. And you're right. It's still, you try to, even though you've seen it, I, I know you have, I have a million times. It's still, it, you can't, you just gotta like let it ride because you try to act like, all right, well, like, I'll put, if I did it in order, I put this scene, this scene, but you can't do that. Um, One of the things that's interesting to me yeah. is seeing that Harvey Keitel is a great actor, but I feel like it, it's Great! It's like it's like a compliment, but it's also like crappy that like he's kind of remembered a lot for like he was in that movie for what was it five to ten minutes maybe? But Mr. Wolf is so iconic.
1: Yeah, less is more. He's a great actor. You know, we he showed that he didn't need an hour of screen time to be incredible.
0: You know, and
1: there's just so many good things about that movie. Um, Uma, Uma and, Thurman
0: uh, I was phenomenal. Her. Um I, yeah.
1: I and like personally I don't think she's that great all no. the
0: time. I don't. I I really don't,
1: but I think that's her wheelhouse for some reason and like the soundtrack. You know, uh, the, oh when he walks in the house and son of a preacher man is playing and you know and uh the the dance scene in uh the name of the restaurant that they I should the know it, But
0: yeah With the Marilyn Monroe Yeah The Amish To nineteen.
1: I keep wanting to say Johnny Rockets Because that's what It reminds me of If you remember Oh yeah I remember
0: the restaurant I'm not sure if that's it Or It's a Johnny Rockets Knockoff Or a Nifty 50s knockoff To say the least But um Yeah for it's... sure
1: but, And like Steve Buscemi As, as uh As Buddy yeah. Holly
0: Yeah Very true And uh
1: uh, like just like a little homages, like uh, hey, how do you want annapa and Andy, <laughs> like like in the whole five dollar milkshake that oh my god, like like I said we could talk about it. For uh, and time. for me, I guess the, 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 more... the my
0: favorite scene is when <coughs> Uma Thurman her character overdoses and Travolta, mm-hmm. you know Vinnie Vega Travolta takes it to you know his his buddy's house who's who's the dealer who he bought the heroin from. And just that whole interaction and the, the yelling and back and forth and just get the shot, <laughs> just screaming. Yeah. Like, and then like when they, you know, put the dot and circle like her heart and this to inject the shot and she wakes up and you kind of feel that relief. Like when they're like, Oh, it's, it's, uh, is the, that the
1: way the tension. Yeah. Lifts.
0: It's just, it's exciting. such a great scene.
1: Um, and, because like they don't have to say anything. Like you know what's going to
0: happen. Oh him. yeah, if if if, if Marcellus' wife Marcellus's wife is dead on his watch, he's a dead man. Yeah, <laughs> and even that part where he's like, "Can you please not tell her?" And then she's like, "I would be in more trouble than you." And he's like, "I highly doubt that." And I'm like, "Yeah, lady. Like, <laughs> I highly doubt that you're going to be more in trouble than his employee." Who she you know would have oh, who overdosed on his watch? Yeah, on his yeah, heroin. On his heroin. <laughs> yeah, that
1: like that whole, and when he's talking to the dealer and he's like, "Do you know who Marcellus Wallace is?" Yes. Okay. Well, I'm gonna tell him, and then and how he immediately starts mm-hmm. helping,
0: <laughs> like because he's like,
1: "I'm not. Don't bring her yeah. here." And then he just. He just seamlessly crashes
0: through the front door. It's such a great, great scene and a great movie. And I think it's, and maybe it's one of those things. I guess a lot of all, all directors have it, you know. All even the great ones. Um, but mm-hmm. it's a you know Tarantino has made other ones, but it it will be, I think most likely, you know, whenever you know God bless his soul when you do that that epitaph that first paragraph. Pulp Fiction is going to always probably be the first movie you will mention talking about Quentin Tarantino. So for that alone, like when it's your magnum, I have to put it at number one. It's 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 on my number one. This was our top favorite Tarantino movies. It'd be number one still. Um, Yeah, it's it is it. And I don't say this word too often. And there's other movies that you can use this word for in film, but it's a masterpiece.
1: Yeah, absolutely, totally. Couldn't agree more. And I'm once again surprised by how much our lists are I I really am. I thought I thought
0: they were going to be wild. Yeah, years. this one I thought more than any of the other ones. I did. You,
1: did you think? Did you did you think Planet Terror was going to be on my list?
0: <laughs> I didn't. What I thought because we did not specify. I thought because we didn't. You know, like. He didn't direct True Romance, but he wrote I, – I thought you would put True Romance on your list.
1: The the only one that he wrote that almost would have made it would have been Natural Born Killers.
0: And I thought that too.
1: Um, I, I am more of a fan of Natural Born Killers, but I kept it to things that he directed. Same,
0: same. So
1: – But it's funny that we kind of understand each other's criteria. Yeah. Without even saying it. Because like we <laughs> – yeah, right. Um, so I guess that takes us into my number one. one, which was *Inglorious Bastards. So, I know. I, can, I feel like I can
0: feel you silent, uh, Yeah, Yeah, so. a little bit. A <laughs> little bit.
1: A little bit. But, so, what I think of the reason this uh, is the number one, uh, at least at the time of me writing the list, you know, um, is the all-around the turning people like what the deciding factor besides all the other things that we already pretty much covered is that turning people who either aren't actors or necessarily not great actors into feeling like great actors, mm-hmm. you know, um Eli Roth, like I love his part, you know, as the bear Jew, Um he is he like his, I guess, big deal is that he directed hostile, which really isn't that good yeah. of a movie. Um, like I think his stuff as far as being a director, is kind of overblown a little bit um and it's just you know how demented can I make something but uh yeah the 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 nails in the coffin for me pick number one is the opening scene, and like the way Christoph Waltz not only alludes to but lets you know like in. Pure concrete that he is evil, and that's it. Mm-hmm. is is not easy because nowadays people love
0: to like, you know, uh, sympathize with the villain. Yeah, so a, I, I, no, I, I agree. There's, there's always a reason why you have to show a reason why someone is bad. Yeah, and he lets
1: you know and continues to remind mm-hmm. you the entire film that there is not an ounce of good in this man's heart. And, you know, the just the way he, like, as far as, like, him acting, like, when he's sitting at the table and how slow he points to the floor, like, how calculated mm-hmm. that was, so, like, his finger doesn't bang off the table, it's just, like, just the little details that are not only up to Tarantino, but up to him as well, like them as a partnership, I, I feel like it'll be very, very hard to ever recreate that. And like the skipping through languages, you know, he apparently from my notes that I gather that Christoph Waltz is fluent in 12 Yes, languages. I've read that too. That, that's insane. That's literally insane. I hardly speak English. <laughs> um, I speak in hashtags and rap yeah. lyrics. And this guy speaks 12 languages and not like like and like some pretty obscure ones, too, that like I didn't even know what it was. I had to look it up. So um, that, you know, that's another one like Tarantino loves to cut his films into pieces. And I love that. I love that. I love that they're short films inside of a film that create a bigger film. I, I, I think he has cornered the market on that. And I love that this film, as a major budget picture and a major motion picture, feels like an art house. Mm-hmm. Like there is a certain feel to it that makes me feel like some kid in a dorm room thought thought this yeah You know what I mean? Some kid at Tisch School of the Arts in a overpriced dorm or apartment in Manhattan, like, came up with this idea, and you know Tarantino put it to life. And uh, you know I think. I think 10 years from now that this is what's going to be looked at as his magnum opus. Oh,
0: you think it'll overtake pulp uh, fiction.
1: I do. I personal personal opinions, I do. I think um especially what I think is going to be the deciding factor in that is that it's a historical piece. And it'll always like obviously with the twist ending of how he he sorted it out, but like because it's a topic of, you know, the Holocaust and the SS and all that. I think that'll kind of give it a little more legs and I could be wrong. I I am known to be wrong once in (laughs) a while. Um, Not often, but sometimes. I think this is what, you know, when it's all all said and and done and the game has retired Quentin Tarantino, I think this is what's going to be
0: looked at as his main moment. It's hard for me to, to agree with that only because 26 years later, we still see the Ripple's effects in culture and in the industry of pulp fiction and I don't know if Inglorious Bastards can ever ever get that. You know what I mean? Like like that's that's where it's and, to me gonna be tough for it to overtake pulp fiction.
1: Uh I don't necessarily disagree with your opinion, but you know, I think it's one of those things time is gonna have to tell. But it's hard to, you know, shape the argument
0: at this point. Because of how monstrous, pulp fiction and that's is. why I say that because I could see it now, you know, 20 years from now, a lot of people who are doing like a list what could put in Glorious Bastards as number one, like so. I, I think like, yeah. that could definitely like shift and change, but I think as far as just what will always be his first movie to talk about his legacy, I think it's going to hard to overtake pulp fiction because, like, I whether it's the best or most important of a of an era of a decade, Pulp Fiction is on like a Mount Rushmore of either or, and that's where it's just like tough. But I could see people saying that on a personal, you know, like a you know, whoever so and so film critic, you know, doing having a list and putting Inglorious Bastards one, and that getting more of a a popular opinion, especially if people who are you know students of film. But I just think Pulp Fiction, especially like like we both said, with the pop culture impact, it's just tough to beat.
1: Yeah, for sure. Like, and I understand it both ways. That's that's the thing, and that's like as as much as like I would love for my opinion to be the end all (laughs) be all, because that would make a lot of my arguments a lot easier. It's not, you know, it is in fact an opinion, and sometimes my opinions are relatively unpopular ones. I get that sometimes I can be kind of pretentious no, about it. No, that's why it's fun. It but when it comes to like actual film, I think um, and like maybe performances in a film, Christoph Waltz is uh, his his character will will be one of the forever talked about. Yeah. You know. And I think I think that like maybe that's where it might get skewed up a little bit because like we will talk about pulp fiction in a whole. We will talk about Christoph Waltz. Singularly, yeah, you
0: know, and I
1: feel like that's what could drive that True. argument.
0: I agree. Um, I I had so, a question for you though. Do Do you think, and this may be a hard one to answer, but for because I definitely, if you're talking about great filmmakers, we've already said he's going to be on that list if he stopped making movies right now. Can you think of a filmmaker who's had a more, I guess, unconventional? career path, like a great filmmaker Then Didn, than Tarantino. Describe
1: unconventional
0: from kind of, I guess for me, from just, there's not the, and maybe you could argue once upon a time in Hollywood and recently, but for so long, the, these were not the, they don't go by standard blockbuster, big picture studio, definitions of films and they're very different and they're very just like you you, they're unconventional and not only because a lot of directors great ones they have their style you know hitchcock has his style different people scorsese but you kind of see like the you see the the mass appeal you know what i mean like they're going for this is a movie that everyone will want to see where to me, Tarantino yeah, has never um, done that as far as I'm concerned.
1: I think, um, the closest you would get maybe is David Fincher. Okay. Um, just cause of some of his films or, you know, like he's kind of a, a best of both worlds. If mm-hmm. you ask me, cause like, you know, you have seven and you have, you have fight club and, uh, but then you have the social network, right? You know, but also then you have like the girl with the dragon tattoo, which is a pretty out there film, and it, it seems like he maybe gets a little more recognition. And that that like where his outlandish stuff ends up being on the big, you know, blockbuster like model a little more, no matter what. But uh, you know, I think him, and without going too outlandish. You know, because like I would say someone maybe like, uh, you know, Harmony Corinne or uh, maybe like a Darren Aronofsky Mm -hmm. that like that would be like the closest. But yeah, I I think he is the gold standard when it comes to that.
0: Do you think now for you is on a personal, not like objective, like you, you're is he your favorite director? Who's no. your favorite director? <sighs> yeah, personal.
1: honestly, and, and you'll probably laugh. No. You won't laugh at me. Um, it's it's probably Kevin Smith. Okay. Um, I hold those films like Clerks, Small Rats, Dogma, uh, Chasing Amy, like the the like the dearest to my heart. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Because. Like, Clerk specifically, is the movie that made me love film and love independent film. Yeah. And, like, opened so many, like, doors and schools of thought for me. Um, it would have to be him. Maybe, like, I, I would say, like, if I had to do, like, a quick, like, rattle off a quick five, it would be Smith, Lars von Trier, uh, Tarantino, Scorsese, and Kubrick. Okay. Like, Lars von Trier being the oddity one but i love i just love, i love his style of film um but a lot of the people that i assume
0: that would like what what would be yours if you had a rival my favorite up? directors uh yeah. i will put hitchcock i'm going to give you kubrick i got to put scorsese on there um this is one of my, i i i will put spike lee and just because some of his movies. Yeah, he would he, he would yeah, be. some my of hits. his movies and he's, he's had some ones that I'm like, eh? but there's certain ones, you know, from Do the Right Thing to to Malcolm X, uh The Crooklyn, you know, there's certain ones that will always just hold such value to me and importance on for so many obvious and not obvious reasons that I got to put Spike Lee on there. that's what four. And if I go with a fifth, I would probably say uh, that's a tough one. My fifth director, I, I, if I have to say, hmm, I, I, I guess not enough, but I do Coppola for kind of the same thing as Spike Lee. So many of those movies just mean too much to me, and. I, I am a fan of him, and even outside of the Godfathers, but apocalypse now, you know mm-hmm. they they are just epic yeah. for me and even hearing him hearing him talk about those films are special for me, like from inside the actor Studio, the different documentaries they were important in my loving of film and loving of storytelling, hearing Coppola talk about. The process of the goth like so i i gotta put him in there just for that
1: yeah i could yeah i can understand that like i i have a bunch like that would i feel like that's like the one list that i could never submit yeah like because it would change like uh i i personally and i like i mentioned it, like a few seconds ago and like you know this like i love harmony corinne but i also know that people don't really like harmony corinne yeah. But, like, I love Gummo and Spring Breakers, and he wrote the movie Kids when he was 14, which is just literally insane that a 14-year-old's brain works that way. And, uh, but, you know, that's, like, the one thing, like, there's times where Coppola could be in the list, where Aronofsky could be in the list, where, um, you know, like, well, to even
0: some of the the so, so I know why you, you prefaced it, where, like, people will laugh, and I, I get that, but... Why Kevin Smith will always, and he's kind of taken some weird, tr- as far as filmmaking, now I like his podcasting. I've liked his love of comic books and him writing, I know Daredevil is my favorite superhero. So, but it's keeping it to directing, he's kind of gone a little wonky for me in these recent years, or maybe past 10 to 15, yeah. honestly. But I'll say this, he will always have a special place in in my heart because And I'm sure people could debate it in a way, but for me, the story of Clerks is the greatest underdog story maybe like in the history of film. And is also the – I feel
1: like I I phrased it that like Kevin Smith is like the everyday man's Quentin Tarantino. For sure. As far as his dialogue goes. Like – just the simplicity of like the dialogue of hating your fucking job,
0: yeah, <laughs>
1: and them going back and forth, and just like the little like ads and like that. It was more or less a, a biopic about himself and just hating his job, and then he hated his job so much that he made a movie about it, and and the story behind it, like like you said, like the underdog, story. Or, you know, just like he
0: sold his yeah com-
1: his comic and book maxing collection. out credit
0: cards and. You know, it's he couldn't afford to make it in color, which is, makes it even better, because the movie is so much better in black and white. And without even knowing that, to me, it's better. But, then mean, you know that, for me, I love it even more, because, like, knowing that story, and yeah, it's... Yeah. I'll be honest, Steve. I reference, because uh, there's, there's like, you know, I think it came with the DVD or whatever you had, but, like, a, a documentary, like, however many years about the story of Clerks. And I had read about that but Mm -hmm. listening to it um, and watching it. When I think of anything in that realm of like creatives from even this pot from doing podcasting to if you want to write a story, if you want to make a movie. And, you know, a lot of times people I want to do these things. And is it very hard to like make it in this stuff, like especially movies and stuff? Absolutely. But I think of clerks and I say to myself and to that person, give it a try. You know, what I mean, no point, you know, give it a try because from that story and what Kevin Smith did. So I I will never laugh at you saying that me personally, because in a lot of ways, he's someone I respect as a person so much. And that story is in his story is very inspiring.
1: Yeah. And like, if you know me personally, you know, it makes sense. Like, I just, I you know, I I don't know. I love Kevin Smith. <laughs> I do. I really do. Like, those movies, especially Clerks and even Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, like, they just mean so much to my childhood. And, like, they shape the way, like, I talk and, like, I interact on, on like, a, a comedy level yeah. with people and, like, the way me and my friends talk to each other and, like, you know, like, just, like, the word snoogans. You know what I mean? Like, that was in everyone's dialect, and, like, the the song from the beginning of Chain and Silent Bob Strikes Back was, like, one of the first viral pieces ever, like, and not to the effect of, like, actually on the internet, but just people saying it, like, kind of like quoting Anchorman was yeah. viral ever before the internet was a thing. You know, everybody knew that song. People who never seen that movie know that song word for word.
0: It's, it's huge. It really is, man, but... This this was a lot of fun. This was and I I I yeah, I'm absolutely. trying to to that that's like a goal of mine to find that list where we're just completely off. Like we're just completely just like but <laughs> like I I I'm, I'm trying to find that topic of what in, in something that we're just like, "Whoa, I thought this way might have been it a little bit more than it was."
1: Yeah, me too. I I was totally assumed that they were going to be very
0: different. Right. Okay. <laughs> The, the 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 search will right. still continue, my friend.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think I think Kia is getting me on a sports. We podcast.
0: that which you know we got the holidays coming up, but we'll, we'll definitely that's going to happen. That's going to happen.
1: Yeah. So I think I think we should do an MMA one. I'm down because I think I think that'll be the most contrary opinions we have. For
0: sure. For sure. <laughs> Absolutely, my man. But hey, yes. thank you for coming on, Steve.
1: Uh, so it's always a pleasure. Uh, it's awesome that, like, I'm really not an important person at all, and I get invited on podcasts pretty of regularly. Of course, man. Hey, so, well, you're <laughs> you're important, and
0: you're important to me. So <laughs> it means That's I'm Absolutely, something. man. Absolutely. <laughs> so for the one and only Steve Callahan, I'm Jeremy Dove. Thank you guys for listening to Ready, Set, Binge. Have a great